Hi, and welcome back to the Can Do MS podcast. This is the third episode in the 2019 Young Adult series. If you haven't listened to episode one or two, please be sure to go back and listen to those first. In part three of this series, you will hear once again from Channing Barker and psychologist Roz Kalb as they discuss what resilience means as a young adult living with MS. Well, I'm very pleased to be back with you, Channing. We've had the opportunity to chat before on a couple of other occasions, so people can hear you on other podcasts as well. Uh, but tonight, I'm really looking forward to you to talking with you about what resilience means to you in your life. But can we start with you telling us just a little bit about who you are and for, for our listeners who don't know? Yeah. So my name is Channing, and I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis at 16. Uh, January 24th of 2006, I woke up with a numb sensation on the right side of my body. My mom told me that it was from tanning too much because at 16, homecoming tan is the only thing that matters to you. Um, and I went through a series of diagnostic um, testing and uh, live, have lived with the disease ever since. So I'm 30 years old now, and I completed um, my degrees at the University of Arkansas and went on to fill my dream of being a morning show news anchor and reporter, and now I work in government communications. I just turned 30, bought a house. I have a five-year-old dog who's the light of my life, um, a great group of friends, and um, I live in Northwest Arkansas. So the term resilience is used a lot Mm -hmm. today, Mm -hmm. but it means very different things to different people. Could you talk about what it means to you today and maybe how it came to have greater meaning in your life as you went from being a teenager to a beautiful young woman living with a chronic illness? I think it's actually a really important question, Roz, because every everything changes, you know, in perspective when you're diagnosed with something until now, um, you know, 13 years, 13 and a half years later, I remember writing my college essay using the word resilience. And back when I was diagnosed and going through that time period, about that year and a half of living with it in high school, resilience to me meant jumping back quickly, being able to um, almost like a rubber band, like spring back. And I liked that because I didn't want to be brought down by this disease because it was all about getting back into things, getting back into my normal. What was my new normal? And so I really tried to adhere to that. Looking back now, that's a very slippery slope to me. Because what happens when you don't jump back so quickly or you don't want to jump back so quickly, right? Um, Because now at 30, I have gone through maybe a little bit of the grief of living with this disease in the last couple of years. Because when you're 16, you're diagnosed, you want to be back in everything. You want to be back in all of the social clubs you were in in high school. You want to be back to normal because you don't want to be labeled. Um, And so I was resilient in that space. If you're going to that definition, I think of resilience at 30, a little bit differently. I think of it as when you are down, you recognize that that's the space you're in. And then you plan your climb back up to wherever it is that you want to be. It doesn't have to be the top because I don't think that strong or resilient looks like being at the top all the time. I think it looks like recognizing where you are, taking it all in and, and being coming a better person or the person that you want to be by feeling all of the feelings that you're taking in at that moment. 
but it looks very different than it did at 16 than it does at 30. Because I think at 16, I just wanted to be back. I wanted to spring back. At 30, I'm taking things a little bit slower because I want to understand why I am trying to get to the next space. I want to understand fully what living with this disease means and kind of make the edits to my life so that I'm not caught off guard when I'm unable to do something. So I think you're saying something really important. So as a teenager, it was important to keep up your regular life, in quotes, be a normal teenager, do the things that other teenagers were doing. So you kind of got back on the horse right away Mm -hmm. without actually dealing with the feelings uh, around being diagnosed with a chronic illness. You just sort of put those aside and kept going. So outwardly, you were being very resilient. The world was seeing a very resilient teenage girl getting right back into the swing of things. But now as a more thoughtful adult, it sounds as though you're redefining resilience as the ability to do a little more processing emotionally, intellectually of changes that are happening in your life and figuring out how you want to manage them and get yourself to a good place. Mm-hmm. So it's more of a process. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, more really, of a, it's really interesting. Well, I think it's definitely more of a process because like you said, I was outwardly really trying to show that I can do this, that I can conquer this. Mm-hmm. And I was told so many times, oh, you're so brave. You're so brave. And I didn't know any different though. There was no other, I had nothing to compare this to. And I think about 27, 28 is when I really started to understand fully what living with this disease looked like. And I was processing that grief. And I think of myself as resilient now more so than I did at 16. Not that 16-year-old Channing was wrong in any form or fashion, because that's all I knew. She was just trying to go to homecoming, you know? And now I'm trying to fully understand where I am and, and get back on the horse, but deciding what that means, how that looks and how I can future, how future Channing can be resilient as well. So I have a couple of questions related to that that are sort of related. One is, do you think that that more mature feeling of what resilience is that you have now took practice to get there? And did you find that you needed assistance from others, either family, friends, or professionals to help you think through that uh, process that you now go through of trying to understand what the disease means and how you want to react to it? So I think I'll answer question two because it answers question one. Because when I went through seeing a psychologist and really digging into why I was feeling the way I was feeling about X that I thought was completely unrelated to MS. It wasn't. And I hadn't gone through the grieving process. And I also saw my friends go through very, very tough times and very dark times in their life and seeing them. One of my dearest, closest friends that is incredibly strong And I think she's strong because she's able to show her emotions because she is able to speak with us and share with us how she's gone through her grieving process. Because really what I think resilience taught me at 16 was that I didn't really have a grieve what I thought my life would look like. I was 
unable to grieve the loss of what I thought life with MS was going to look like. And now I'm able to do that and have done that. So I think it, it that, that kind of your question is, is to, is tied to the fact that I had friends and family that I saw go through things that I took bits and pieces from and was able to dissect why I was resilient or what I was going through and grieve that process, which I think made me a better advocate for myself and for others with MS. So I think I got to see the practice of others going through it. You learn. I learned from from others. And I think also it took failure at trying to be resilient. It took failing at um, trying to put a brave face on at work when I was really feeling super awful and then coming home and just crying and being upset and frustrated because I, because of the loss of what I thought my life, a professional life at 30 would look like. So you mentioned seeing a psychologist. Mm-hmm. And so for, for people who are listening, how has that played a role for you in finding your own strengths or dealing with your grief or learning how to cope with this? How did the mental health professional work with you on this? Uh, I would say that my, my therapy has helped dig deeper than sometimes I wanted to. She asked the questions of why that I, through journaling or meditation, was unable to answer because I would usually stop. And, and unabashedly, just because I didn't know that I could go deeper into a specific area, she's been able to dig into spaces that I thought, well, that has nothing to do with MS. And it would circle back to because I'm afraid of not living this life because of this trauma that I went through at 16 that is still haunting me to this day because I didn't deal with it at 16. She also let me understand that it was okay that I was comparing constantly my MS to someone else's disease. And we, as people living with MS, do this all the time. We are constantly saying, well, I don't have X disease. I don't have cancer. I don't have, I'm not going through divorce. Everything is really fine in my life. So we quantify like what we're living with and we don't, what we're dealing with is so different than everything else. Just like what they're dealing with on the outside world is different than what we are dealing with. We don't need to grade what we're going through. She allowed me space to grieve, to be frustrated and to be angry. And I didn't allow myself to do that. One of my favorite stories from being newly diagnosed was I had this awesome, awesome teacher. Her name was Kathy Pickup. And um, we just reconnected on Facebook not too long ago. And I tell her, like, I send her messages when I just feel like I somebody I need to tell somebody things. But she was, I was leaving school. It was after I'd been diagnosed and I was still using my cane. And I was doing half days because I was obviously recovering from a relapse. And so my mom was waiting for me at the um, Circle Drive at our high school, and she was helping me out with my book bag. And she looked at me and she said something along the lines of, how are you feeling? And I said, oh, I'm okay. I'm okay. And she said, okay, well, that's, that's good. I'm glad that you're feeling that way. But I also want you to know it is okay to cry and it's okay to be frustrated and it's okay to lean on others. And she told me that I was given the permission slip of... I had 15 to 30 minutes every day, once a week, once a month, once a quarter, whatever it looked like to me, that I could stop, be angry, cry, yell, scream, whatever, throw my hands up in the air, be mad at God. And then I had to move on. She said that she allowed her daughter to do that when she was diagnosed with diabetes and that that was a real saving grace. And I carry that with me so often because 
I think really everyone needs to know that they are allowed to do that. You are allowed that space to be angry and be frustrated. And sometimes in society, we just try to get on and be positive. And you can do that, but you also need to go through the processing of living with something like this. And it sometimes catches us, up, us off guard. I can be, it can be Wednesday at two o'clock and I, my brain fog has been really bad. And that's when I get emotional about it. So that was one of the best pieces of advice I've ever gotten in my life. So what's so important about what you're saying is that if you go back to your description of being a teenager and being like a rubber band and wanting to show that you could bounce back right Mm -hmm. away, that that's sort of an appearance of resilience. Mm -hmm. But what you're saying now is that when you build true resilience and practice that, it it has a built-in feature where you you can feel all the feelings and you can even express the feelings and share them with other people and really get into the the anger and the sadness. And that that's what allows you to then move forward and be resilient in problem solving and, and, and coping. So I think practice has worked and you've learned a lot from the from the people around you. So I, I think that that's a, a wonderful lesson for people. And I, one more example I'm hoping you'll be willing to talk about. I know you had always dreamed of being in the news world and being an anchor. And that was something that was just from, as a, from childhood you wanted to do. And you fairly recently had to make a major change. Mm-hmm. So could you just talk about how that fits into this definition that we've just come up with now of what resilience means to you? Yeah, absolutely. So you're right. Um, I always wanted to be a news anchor. And when I achieved that goal, it was really awakening to me, but I also was really, my health was not the greatest. So I had to make this decision of, okay, where do I go from here? I want to keep my health because Careers come and go, but my health is what's the one thing I have control over. Mm-hmm. And it was like I had to step back and say thank you to the universe, that thank you for letting me achieve this, and I'm ready to move on with my next goal and ambition. So it was a moment of gratitude and also a life edit. And I think it's really important to allow yourself to make those life edits because I think women especially, we make these life plans at 17 that we want to stick to. And some of those are very valid and some of those are also unrealistic. And so when I realized that my health was not improving and my health was not my top priority because the news business is extremely taxing on you, I just was able to take my talents and my job skills and transition them. And sometimes that's what I think life is about is transitioning from point A to point B and maybe it takes you to point B point two or B point eight to get to point C. Um, so I think it's just editing along the way. Um, and that for those of you who are listening is one of the most wonderful definitions of resilience I've heard as a psychologist. And thank you, Channing, very much for sharing so openly what your process was of recognizing your own resilience and really fostering it. Thank you to our listeners. We really appreciate you tuning in to the Young Adult Series. If you enjoyed the Young Adult Series, please make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And of course, we'd like to thank all of our sponsors for supporting the Young Adult Series. A huge thank you to Biogen, Celgene, Genentech, Sanofi Genzyme, and Novartis for their support. 
For other great resources, please make sure to check out our website, candu-ms.org.